Stacey and Pete. And it's the We Don't Want to Grow Up podcast. Thanks for joining us. Before we get into the movie we're covering this week, who is coming up to the front of the class for show and tell? Come on up. It is Pam. Yay! (laughs) So Pam was born in 1980. She's a very young 41. I can say that because I'm 42. (laughs) (laughs) I like that Pam went all out with her list. She decided to add a little extra credit to her homework (laughs) assignment. Yes, and obviously we understand not being able to choose just one. Some of these categories, she chose 20. (laughs) (laughs) We may have to cut some of these. We may, just for time's sake. But we appreciate you, Pam, for putting in the effort and doing this for us. It's a fantastic list. It is. So favorite 80s songs. Close to Me by The Cure. Girls Just Want to Have Fun. Cindy Lauper. Every Rose Has Its Thorn by Poison. And in HM, Greatest Love of All, Whitney Houston. Ah. I remember learning how to play that on the piano when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. I don't think I ever played that one. I played a lot of Axel F. Yes, that too. (laughs) Favorite 80s movies, My Girl. I thought My Girl was a 90s movie. I thought it was right on the edge. It might be like 1990 or maybe 89. 1991. Oh, all right. Well, you know, so now we know that that's one of her favorite 90s movies. Yes. The Little Mermaid. Beaches. And HM's Steel Magnolias, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Terminator, and Return of the Jedi. That is quite the list. How many of those have we covered? Any of those? Um, no. No. We, we've done the other two. We haven't done Return of the Jedi yet, but we have done A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back. Yeah. But. Great list. We're going to have to cover all of those. Okay. Favorite 90s songs. Say It Ain't So by Weezer. Nothing Compares to You by Sinead O'Connor. I Try by Macy Gray. And an HM, From the Edge of the Deep Green Sea by The Cure. Nice. I didn't know that was a 90s song. I'll have to go listen to that one. I'm not horribly familiar with it. Favorite 90s movies, Silence of the Lambs. Romeo and Juliet, as we all know, my favorite. Yep. The Fifth Element, which was a great sci-fi movie. And HM's Velvet Goldmine, Edward Scissorhands, Clueless, Seven, and Twister. Seven is an amazing movie. I haven't seen that in so long. Me either. All right, here's where Pam gets extensive. Okay, (laughs) favorite 80s or 90s TV shows. Now, I have to throw in really quickly that I, for some reason, when I originally made the questionnaire, left out TV shows. Did you? Apologies to Joanna and Amber and Mary Beth. I think those are the only ones that we've already done. Yeah. I completely forgot about TV shows for some reason. It's a good category to include. Yes. So are we just going to go back and forth with these? These cover the 80s and the 90s. Yes. Let's do three in a row. Okay. Okay. My So-Called Life, The Cosby Show, Golden Girls. Night Court, Saved by the Bell, 
Beverly Hills 90210. 2020. Same page. David the Gnome, Belle and Sebastian, very cozy shows. Transformers, yes. Shirt Tales, Wuzzles. All great. Yes. Full House, Family Matters, you can't do that on television. Daria, Eon Flux, The Get Along Gang. Oh, love The Get Along Gang. Yeah. And Daria. Uh, Gummy Bears. Gummy Bears, <laughs> bouncing here. Sorry. Rainbow Bright and do 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 Inspector Gadget. do 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 Columbo, Murder, She Wrote, and Unsolved Mysteries. I tell you, I feel like Murder, She Wrote was on all of the time. Yes, all hours of the day. Yes. A show that started my anxiety in life, I think, Rescue 911. Yes. Along with Unsolved Mysteries that Mm -hmm. you just mentioned. Then we have some talk shows, Arsenio Hall, Ricky Lake, Sally Jesse Raphael, Phil Donahue, etc. Which, that's another good idea for a podcast episode is talking about... Ooh, the talk shows? Talk shows. Yeah, that is a good idea. Didn't we just see something... Oh, was it the dark side of the 90s when they talked about the, the talk shows? Yep. Yeah. All right, the toy that Pam loved most as a child was Wish Bear. She said, it's the one thing I grabbed when we were escaping a hurricane. Ah, smart thinking. Very smart thinking. Wish Bear was one of my favorite Care Bears. Yeah? Yeah. Like it's Cheer Bear and Funshine Bear are tied and then Wish Bear. Wish Bear is the third place, technically. Yes. I like it. My sister had that Care Bear, and we actually found it in the attic search. And Did I we? really wanted to swipe it, but she saw it first. She saw it? Yeah. And she wants to keep it. Oh. How did she see it? She came over and was looking through stuff. Oh, we should have. Because she wasn't there when we got it all down. <laughs> and we still had the box, too. Like, it wasn't in the box, but we still had the box for it. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Okay. Favorite game that Pam loved as a child or teenager? She said, I loved to play memory as a kid and remember disliking sorry. She didn't like sorry? <laughs> didn't that, did that have the pop thing in the middle? Yes. Yeah. I haven't played that in so long. You'll I don't, be sorry. I don't even remember the concept of it, but yeah. I remember liking the pieces. I yes. liked the way they looked. Yeah, they were really like smooth and mm-hmm. had the little the circle ball on the top. Yeah. Yeah. And then she said, we don't talk enough about recess and how awesome Foursquare and Miss Mary Mack was. Miss Mary Mack. I agree. What is Miss Mary Mack? Miss Mary Mack Mack is like one of those hand clapping games. I don't know the word for that. I had a biscuit, a biscuit. (laughs) You ate a trisket, a trisket. Shimmy, shimmy, cocoa ball, shimmy. Like that kind of thing. Kind of like that. Yeah. yeah. Sweet, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and also, like, what was the thing you'd play Cat's Cradle, right? With yeah. the string. Uh-huh. You could do it on your hand. But then also, if you had a big one, you would do it person to person with your feet. Oh, remember? yeah. I remember people doing that. I don't think I ever did it. I did. I got quite good at it. Oh, fancy. Favorite book that Pam loved as a child or teenager? The Berenstain Bears as a kid. Or as some would say, Bernstein, if you lived in another dimension. I wonder which one she had. <laughs> Sorry, it's a little Mandela effect stuff. Yeah. And then Sweet Valley High and B.C. Andrews as a tween. Thrillers, mysteries, and memoirs as a teen. I also read Sweet Valley High. You did? Yeah, I think my sister had them. Oh, okay. I did. You know, we did that episode where we talked about our favorite childhood books so long ago that I don't even remember yeah. what all we said. Me either. I know I had Babysitter's Club in there, but... I had to have had Narnia in there. I think you did. Favorite place to go in the mall in the 80s, 90s, or early 2000s? The food court. <laughs> Seriously, so many options. <laughs> so true. Sanrio Surprises. Merry-Go-Round. Spencer's. Walden Books. 
KB Toy Stores, which I love, <laughs> Rave, and Sam Goody, which is a music store. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the questionnaire, we always ask if there's anything else, you know, that they would like to add about nostalgia or this community. And she said catalog ordering was a lot of fun, especially Columbia House and Delia's. Mm-hmm. You know, we've talked about that. She said, I know the pod is a place of happiness and nostalgia, but I was really thinking about this question and realized that the biggest thing I miss about my youth is the innocence. Gen X is the last generation to know life where the U.S. wasn't involved in a conflict or didn't have to worry about school shootings or the Internet, other than it being something we generally didn't understand. Yeah, it really was the last time you could be a kid and not be fully connected to everything that you wanted to be. Right. I consider myself to be a zennial, which is like Gen X millennial, because it's there are a couple years. I forget what the exact years are. Didn't somebody call you like a geriatric something? Well, that's what they, not me personally, but they named, they were calling people in my age range elder millennials. Elder millennials. And then they were saying geriatric millennials. <laughs> You're like, you need to, you need to stop. I'm like, have you all not heard of zennials? Because I've heard of zennials for years now, and I prefer that name. But I'm Gen X, correct? Yes, 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 you are. I'm just like right on that fringe. Um, and it's not because like obviously you also experienced the same things that I did as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, Well, you experienced the same things that I did. Right. Because I'm older. I know. But what I'm saying is that you were still sort of young when like you started getting on the Internet and yeah. things like that. But I mean, still you were like in college, right? Well, not the first time I ever got on the Internet. But you know what I mean, like meeting people. Yeah, regular use was, yeah, college. Yeah. So anyway, we could just talk about this forever, but we need to get in to the movie. We do. Well, that was a very well-prepared project. So thank you, Pam. You may go sit down. You get a gold star. Gold star. (laughs) And if you'd like to be featured in our show and tell segment, you can reach out to us and ask for a questionnaire and we'll get it over to you. Before we get into this movie that we're covering, we'll tell you really quickly all the places that you can reach us. The main place, Instagram at We Don't Want to Grow Up Pod. We're on TikTok at We Don't Want to Grow Up. There is a very fun Facebook group, The Cozy Club, fans of We Don't Want to Grow Up. You can help support the podcast by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash we don't want to grow up. You can email us at we don't want to grow up pod at gmail.com. And if you like our content, we'd really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and a quick review. It may be annoying that we ask this all the time, but those numbers do matter for us. So if you haven't done that, please just take a few moments of your time. And share about the podcast and our social media. If you have any friends or family that you think might enjoy it, spread the word. Let them know. Okay, back to it. Back to our show. (laughs) So the movie we're covering this week is... Mannequin. Finally. Finally. You're marking these off of your list. He caved. I caved. Do you know, I heard from several people after they heard whatever episode it was where we were talking about, maybe it was 80s romantic movies. Yeah. And they were like, come on, Pete, watch Mannequin. (laughs) It was hilarious. Well, we've done it now. (laughs) And I enjoyed it. It was a good time between the two of us. I'm not going to say it was a good movie. (laughs) But you enjoyed sitting there with me watching it. Absolutely. I had a lot of fun watching the movie with you. So this one's from 1987, directed by Michael Gottlieb, also written by Michael Gottlieb and Edward Rugoff. So it's a rom-com, obviously, that's actually a modern retelling of the Pygmalion myth. 
Pygmalion was a sculptor who fell in love with a statue that he had carved. Oh, really? Yes. Isn't that fascinating? I did not know that. Me neither. So in this story, Jonathan is a department store window dresser who falls in love with the mannequin he creates when she comes to life. She's inhabited by the spirit of a woman from ancient Egypt. I mean, what else could you ask for in a movie plot? Yeah, like I had completely forgotten about the opening of this movie. I was like, what What are we watching? <laughs> it's all the animated stuff. And yeah. It's a song by Belinda Carlisle. It's called In My Wildest Dreams. But in my memory, I always thought that they were playing Walk Like an Egyptian right there. But it's just because they're Egyptian. That would have made more sense. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe they couldn't get the rights. Or maybe, well, was this before that song or not? Ooh, I don't know. Let's see here. What year did this come out? 87. 87, right? 1986. Oh. Pete actually just looked it up. We paused for a second. And Walk Like an Egyptian came out in 1986, where this was 87. But I bet they were already in, like, post-production. And yeah. They had decided the music already. Yeah. They probably didn't even know about this song. It was too late. But, man, what a missed opportunity. Totally missed it. So our cast, we have Andrew McCarthy as Jonathan Switcher. Kim Cattrall as Emma Emmy Hesire. Estelle Getty as Claire Timken. And Estelle sadly passed away in 2008. Sophia. Sophia. James Spader, one of your faves. My fave. <laughs> as Mr. Daryl Richards. Uh, his first name is never mentioned in the film, so, you know, he's just known as Richards. Yeah. It's funny, like seeing more of James Spader in the 80s, my dislike of him has lessened some. Oh, well, good. I kind of liked the way he played the character in Pretty in Pink. Yeah. I thought that was actually like a, a good job mm-hmm. playing essentially a DA. Yeah. Sometimes it helps to go back and rewatch those things like as adults. Yeah. You can kind of see it differently. G.W. Bailey is Captain Felix Maxwell. The great Meshach Taylor as Hollywood Montrose, who... Passed away in 2014. Mm. Carol Davis as Roxy Shield. Steve Vinovich as BJ Wirt. Christopher Mayer as Armand. Phyllis Newman as Emmy's mother, and she just passed away in 2019. Oh, did she? Yeah. Phil Rubenstein as the mannequin factory boss, and he passed away back in 1992. Wow. And Andrew Hill Newman as the compactor room janitor, who we see at the end of the movie. We do, yes. Plants one on Roxy. Mm-hmm. All right. So fun facts. The idea for the film came when director Michael Gottlieb was walking down Fifth Avenue and he thought he saw a mannequin move in the window of Bergdorf Goodman. <laughs> that is so fun. Yeah. It's crazy where some of these ideas come from. And then I he's know. like, oh, you know, it'd be fun. What if she was alive? Blah, 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 blah. Here we go. Here's mannequin. Right. And I wonder if he knew about the Pygmalion myth or if he just started looking things up. Once he got that idea, you know? No telling. Well, and there are similarities to the plot of the film One Touch of Venus from 1948. Oh, really? Which actually I had never heard of. And our friend of the podcast, Joanna, was telling me that I needed to watch that because it was similar. I've seen it, so I don't need to watch it. You've seen it? Yeah, yeah. I've seen that movie. This is not the time (laughs) to be sarcastic. They can't see your face. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Slash S. (laughs) What? When you write something on like Reddit or anywhere that you're leaving a comment, uh-huh. if you put slash S afterwards, it means you're being sarcastic. Oh, I had no idea. <laughs> That's funny. So the producers contacted various state film commissions across America looking for an elegant city center department store 
to use for Prince & Company, which is the store where Jonathan works. They visited stores across the country before settling on John Wanamaker's in Philadelphia, which is now Macy's Center City. The scenes for Illustra, who is the competitor store, were filmed at Boscov's department store in the former Camp Hill Mall, which is now Camp Hill Shopping Center near Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. But that John Wanamaker's in Philly is incredible. I know. I want to go visit it now. I thought it was a set. Yeah, it's not. That is mind-blowing, is it? and it's still open now. Yes, at least uh, as of whatever article I just recently read. Wow. Yeah. I would love to go there as well. Add it to the list. Yes. So prior to the start of filming, Kim Cattrall spent six weeks posing for a Santa Monica sculptor who captured her likeness. Six mannequins, each with different expressions, were made. That's funny because we were talking at the beginning of the movie when you first see her in the window. Uh-huh. We're like, is that actually Kim Cattrall? Because it looked so much like her. I know. But then sometimes it doesn't look like her so right. much. Yeah. I was really excited to find this information because I've always wondered. It's always perplexed me, even as a kid. Yeah. So I thought that was really fun. That is a very good bit of information. Truly a fun fact. Yes, very fun. I also read that Kim was saying she had been doing a lot of bodybuilding and stuff at the time because she wanted to look as much like a mannequin as right. she could. Yeah. So. so in 1991, a sequel called Mannequin 2 on the Move was released. It starred Christy Swanson and William Ragsdale. I thought this was funny because both of them were actually in vampire flicks, right? So Christy was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, as we know. And then William Ragsdale was in Fright Night. Really? I wonder if this is the more familiar movie to me. Because in my mind, it's the dude from Fright Night in Mannequin. Yeah, so you must have seen that one. Wow. So we're going to have to watch Mannequin 2. Yeah. I'm sure it only got better. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously, you know, the main characters are different, but it's set in the same department store and Meshack Taylor returns as Hollywood. Well, then I'm in. Yeah. Towards the end of the movie, there's a scene where Hollywood is holding off several security guards with a fire hose and completely... Soaking them and having a great time while doing <laughs> yes. it. But if you'll notice, as soon as the water is turned off, all of the guards are immediately dry. They burst into the storeroom. They're dry. But as soon as the water goes off, the next shot is the security officers huddled in the corner where they were just getting sprayed and they're completely dry at that point yeah. as well. <laughs> they did not think that through. They did not. Whoopsies. <laughs> So we just, you know, we like to talk about the ages sometimes. Yeah. And at the time of filming, Kim Cattrall was 30 and Andrew McCarthy was 24. Oh, really? Yeah. So not, I mean, not too huge, but. So is I think Kim that Cattrall was, 65 now? Yeah. Wow. I think it was pretty unusual at the time, though, to have the female lead be older than the male lead. Yeah, it probably was. Aside from like the graduate or something. Mm. So this marked the second time McCarthy had co-starred with James Spader. They appeared in Pretty in Pink, which we recently covered mm -hmm. a year earlier. And later in 1987, they'd reunite again in Less Than Zero, which I don't think I've seen Less Than Zero. I have not seen it either. Now I want to. Is it a Brat Pack movie? It's probably considered one mm. or it's one of those like, you know, fringe lesser ones. known. But yeah. yeah, fringe ones where maybe I don't know who else is in it, though. I think I think they're really considered Brat Pack movies if they're three or more. Mm. I but feel I, like this I was on the list of Brat Pack movies in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I'll have to go check it out. Although I guess. I guess it would be because really Pretty in Pink just had Molly and Andrew who were in the Brat Pack because everybody yeah. else were considered fringe. 
members. Yeah, that's a good call. (laughs) So, yeah. Carol Davis, who played Jonathan's ex-girlfriend, Roxy, was actually a singer, and she co-composed with Prince the song Slow Love for his 1987 Sign of the Times album. Did she really? Yeah. Wow. I think she was British as well. British? She's British. So this movie did get some scathing reviews. I noticed that when we were going to launch it, that the Rotten Tomatoes score was, I think, a 20 (laughs) out of 100. (laughs) But it did earn one Oscar nod. It was for best song for Starship's Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now. That song became a Billboard number one single by April of 87, but it lost to I've Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing. I mean, that's tough competition. It is. And I think while they're both great songs, Time of My Life is a little bit better. So I agree with the choice. Well, I think Dirty Dancing is the better movie. Oh, yes. So that could be why they won also. Could be. We're already to favorite moments. We are. I will say that the facts about this movie were tough to find. So there are not as many as we would normally have. So deal with it. Deal with it. (laughs) Those were good facts, though. Yeah, I thought so. Now, favorite moment wise, my number one. I love the chase scene through the mall. We get this amazing, bumbling mall cop montage and Switcher goes bowling for mall cops. (laughs) Like he slides underneath them and they all fly up in the air. (laughs) It's crazy. We also get a very 80s trope where Captain Felix is constantly yelling switcher during the chase, (laughs) which was great. It was cracking me up. My first one is that moment where Emmy falls onto the speakers and turns them on and music just starts blasting through them. And she's like, You know, because she's from ancient Egypt and she doesn't know anything about modern technology. It's basically like childhood wonder for her. (laughs) And she's so excited. And then we get the best montage ever where Emmy and Jonathan play dress up basically and dance all over the store. And you have, do you dream about me? Playing over it all. It's the best. It was great. That was always the most fun scene to me in that movie. Yeah, because they're in like different outfits and stuff. Is that when he's like playing the organ too? Yep. I think that organ was impressive. Yes. And it's also where she's got like the... Trench coat. The fur coat on. The fur coat. Yes. Which if they remade it, it would not be. It would be faux. (laughs) It might have been faux. Maybe. Not in that department store. (laughs) No. In 1987, I don't think so. Yeah, not in 87. But then like she flashes him and she's got this sexy lingerie on. Very good for 1987, young us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, number two. Due to my unnatural hatred of James Spader, my second favorite moment in this movie is when he gets punched in the face. (laughs) That's a good one. It made me laugh while I was watching it. So I was like, yep, it's got to be in my list. He's so skeevy in this movie, too. He is. He does a really good job at it, too. I love how he's always, like, fixing his greasy hair. Yes. No matter where he's going, he's always, like, slicking it over to the side. Uh He's, like, licking his hand and pushing it to the side. And what's great is I think back then I had no idea that that would have been the same person that was in Pretty in Pink. Yeah. You know? Within a year of each other, like, as far as release dates, Mm -hmm. so... Okay, number two. Can I just say Hollywood? Like, there are so many one-liners that he has that crack me up. 
And a lot of it, I did not understand it as a kid, but I just knew that I loved him. Right. So I'm just going to name a few. All right. This may mean that I have like 10 favorite moments, <laughs> but sneaky. <laughs> I'll be quick. I'll be quick. So first off, when he introduces himself to Jonathan and he's like, Hollywood, Hollywood Montrose, <laughs> doesn't it just sing? <laughs> he's very proud of himself and he should be. Yes. And then when Hollywood is going to go in and talk to the board and he's stripping down out of his extravagant, colorful outfit to this stiff suit. Yeah. And he tells Jonathan, please don't tell anyone you saw me this way. I have a reputation to uphold. (laughs) I just love that because it's like the opposite of what you would normally see. Right. I love that he left his glasses on, though. Yes. And then when Jonathan introduces Hollywood to Emmy in her mannequin form, (laughs) And he says, maybe I can get G.I. Joe and we can double sometime. (laughs) I don't think I caught that. Never caught that as a kid. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, when we see Hollywood driving his pink Cadillac with the license plate bad girl and he pulls up to the department store and then he has to get out and cover it. Yeah, he can't leave it there. He's got to put the full car cover on. Yes. And the cover is navy blue with these bright neon orange polka dots and it has Hollywood written on it. <laughs> yeah. So, and he is super proud of it, too. As soon as he puts it on, there, he's like, yeah, he's so extra. And I love it. Yeah. All right. I'll stop gushing about Hollywood. OK, on to my third moment. <laughs> I feel like it's been a half an hour. <laughs> the moment when Emmy actually comes alive permanently oh yes yes she says he can see me and i'm so (laughs) and then she thanks the egyptian gods oh right yeah she's like thank you yes but then i think they have a nice kiss and she gets to yell at some people as well oh that's when they're standing at the top of the wood chipper yeah Yeah, I remember that being a big moment when she realized that the other guy down there could actually see her. Mm. Question, though, why is there a wood chipper or a mannequin chipper in a department store? (laughs) I don't know. That's a great question. (laughs) Because it was pretty uh, dangerous, I would say. Yeah. I mean, maybe, you know, they just eventually get tired of the mannequins, so they chop them up. Right. Like their plastic is worn. I don't know what else they would be getting rid of. Maybe boxes of like all the stuff that gets shipped to them. Well, let's let's not attach too much thought to it. All right. We'll we'll leave it there. Yes. And my number three moment is when Jonathan and Emmy get married at the end of the movie. I love how there is like a wedding window display and they're all in there together. Well, the two of them in Hollywood is officiating and you have Estelle Getty's character. Yeah. And they're all like initially frozen, still like their mannequins as well. And then they move. They all come alive at that point. Yes. And Nothing's Gonna Stop Us Now is playing. Hollywood catches the bouquet and he's so emotional and they're both just so supportive of him. (laughs) And it's just really nice to see in any movie, but especially a movie from 1987 where Hollywood is celebrated Mm -hmm. for who he is. Exactly. And I just I, I loved him as a kid, but as an adult watching it, it really made my heart happy to see. Yeah. And from a problematic standpoint, there's only a little bit. Ugh, there are, the there is some for sure. Yeah, there is no, some throughout too. Is it throughout the whole thing? There are a couple things, uh, yeah, that we both gasped at when we heard. Yeah, terminology that uh, isn't okay. Right. All right. HMs. 
there's this one little tiny part during the motorcycle chase scene when they pull up to this old couple. It's Jonathan and Emmy on the bike. Yes. Jonathan and Emmy are on the bike. They're being chased by Felix and Richards in a car and they're on Jonathan's motorcycle. But they pull up to this old couple and the the lady says, Look at him with a dumping. And her husband says, Who are you to criticize? And which perplexed both of us because I've always thought that was funny, but I never realized like he's actually dissing himself by saying that. Yeah, because I think the intention is for him to be calling her a dummy, but he's actually calling himself a dummy. Right. He's like, well, you're with a dummy too. Like, that's how I take it. But maybe he means it the other way around. Like, who are you to criticize? I'm standing here with a dummy. (laughs) Ooh, yeah. Maybe that's how he meant it. And if so, then shame on you, mister. Yes, that wasn't very nice at all. Okay, my first HM, there's this moment where Roxy pushes Armand down the stairs when they're like trying to find Emmy, Jonathan's mannequin. Right. They don't know her name because they haven't been introduced. But, you know, she pushes the guy down the stairs and there's this big crash. And so when the crash happens, she suddenly looks because, you know, she didn't care what happened to him before that. But she looks down and then she goes, oh, my camera. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because it was a really big staircase, right? Or was it an escalator? I think it was a staircase. I'm not sure. But it's just funny because it's like for a split second, you think she cares that he might be hurt. Yeah. And then she's like, oh, he was holding my camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's a moment that I appreciated as an adult. Like, I don't think I picked up on it as right. a kid. All right. My next HM, Jonathan goes back to a restaurant that he used to work at. And apparently he had caused a huge fire there due to a flambe. Yes. They have made him out to be like the most terrible employee ever. He was getting fired every day. Every day from a different (laughs) job. But once again at this restaurant, he causes a flambe fire, which is great. But then he uses the Mater D's toupee to put it out, which just cracked me up. I also wanted to say D's nuts, but uh, it didn't really fit. (laughs) D's nuts. Mater D's. Major D's nuts. Major D's nuts. (laughs) I'd put a note to say it, but I forgot to fit it in. (laughs) And my final HM, I just always loved seeing all of the window displays that Jonathan and Emmy would create together. And one of my favorite moments is when Jonathan turns on the conveyor belt that's there for their like cycling display. Yeah. And it just rips his pants off right away. (laughs) And Emmy gets the biggest kick out of it. And she's like checking him out. And then she goes, nice. (laughs) And all I could see was Samantha Jones. Yeah. Or all I could hear was Samantha Jones. It was like early Samantha. Right. It was great. Made me chuckle. Very good. I had a question. So the quote unquote history in this movie was to me hilarious. Like them being back in Egypt and Kim Cattrall being Egyptian was making me laugh. But then when she's oh, in- She's like a white blonde girl? Yes. Yeah. Um, and then in modern times, she was talking about what she had like done in history and she was like referencing Christopher Columbus. Oh yeah, that she dated Christopher Columbus and yeah. something with Michelangelo. Yeah, it was silly. It was very silly. <laughs> But I couldn't finish without at least talking about it. Yeah. Air out all your frustrations. This is the time. The rampant sexual assault, constant sexual assault of Roxy. Now, she does stick up for herself. She does. But holy cow, that dude, Armand Armand is relentless. And then at the end of the movie, the compactor room janitor plants one on her and won't stop. Right. Because he thinks that she's also a mannequin come to life. He's just witnessed that happening. And then, you know, there's a pile of mannequins. But 
once she's like, get off me, you know, he should have gotten off of her, but he didn't. And yeah, that was annoying. Yeah, I didn't really think about that with the Armand stuff because they tried to make it comical because it was like he was like throwing himself at her and she was just turning him down every time like she was grossed out by him. Right. And obviously like she pushed him down the stairs. But then she ends up having sex with him. She did. Well, no, they did. She goes back to his apartment to have sex with him. Right. Because she wanted to get out her frustrations. Yes. But. Oh, and it didn't. Work it didn't out work out for, for him. Armand. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what he gets. That's what he gets. Minor gripes, but uh, I figured it would be worthwhile to bring them up. Overall, I enjoyed the movie. Yes. That and the um, derogatory talks about Hollywood were the biggest... Problems. Yeah, definitely. Those were the letdowns that we didn't catch as a kid. But, you know, unfortunately, they're in almost every 80s movie that you watch. Yeah, through the 90s, too. Yeah. Thankfully, we have progressed some beyond that. Yeah. I would say, at the very least... In film and TV. Yes. Things have definitely progressed. Well, thank you for finally watching this movie with me and talking about it here on this podcast with our friends. Well, you're very welcome. Thank you for watching it with me. (laughs) And now you get to pick which one that I watch that I probably would never want. I get one? Watch. Terminator or Rambo or, oh my gosh, the list goes, Kroll. Oh, Uh, what else? Oh. Don't worry. I'll put a list together. <laughs> I said one. <laughs> you get one a year. I choose all the rest. <laughs> We're going to have to put a survey out on Instagram to see what everybody wants us to cover in retaliation to Mannequin. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> and before we go, I thought it would be fun to list the highest grossing films from the year that this came out, which was 1987. Ooh, I love this. Number 10. Coming in at 63 million, The Witches of Eastwick. Nice. Number nine, 65 million, Lethal Weapon. That's surprising to me. I, I figured it would have made more money. I bet you number two made probably more. made more money. Yep. Number eight, Stakeout, 65 million as well. What's Stakeout? I don't know if I know that one. Stakeout um, is with is like Paul Newman or somebody. I feel like I watched it, but it's like an old guy with gray hair. Or Tom Cruise, one of the two. <laughs> no, it's like uh, Richard is... Dreyfus, Emilio Estevez, Richard uh-huh. Dreyfus, Madeline Stowe, Aiden Quinn. I love all of them, but yeah. yeah, have not seen that movie. I have, but I do not remember it. Oh, Forrest Whitaker? Huh. Okay, number seven on the list. One of your faves, The Secret. And this is it. This time I'm saying one of your faves and that it really is one of your favorites. Yes, an actual favorite. When I was talking about James Spader being one of your faves, I was being sarcastic. It was a slash S. Slash S. Yes. <laughs> the Secret of My Success. 66 million crushed stakeout. Eat it. <laughs> All right. Number six, 76 million, The Untouchables. Ah. Number five, Moonstruck earned 80 million. Is that with Cher? Yes. Yeah. Number four, Good Morning Vietnam made $123 million. Wow. That was a big jump from yes. $80 million to $123. Big gap. Number three on the list, Beverly Hills Cop 2 earned $153 million. Wow. Number two, Fatal Attraction, $156 million. I guarantee you they did not plan on Fatal Attraction making that much money, yeah. but it was so good. And number one on the list? One of my faves, Three Men and a Baby, 
it brought in $167 million. Really? Three Men and a Baby, highest grossing film of 87. I would not have guessed that. I wouldn't have either. I would have gone with like Lethal Weapon, but I would have been very wrong. Maybe Beverly Hills Cop 2. Yeah, that's probably like if I had this list to look at, I feel like that's probably the one I would have chosen. Or maybe Lethal Weapon, actually, which I would have been way off. But anyway, that was fun. It might be fun to do a little segment sometime where we take a year. And guess. And guess. Like we get the top 10 list. Uh Uh-huh. And we have to put it in order. Oh, that'd be fun. That would be fun. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye.